1: Sunday is a big day on CBS. Jack Benny and Bergen and McCarthy, Rocky Jordan and R. Miss Brooks, The Whistler and Red Skelton. Yes, for varied entertainment, Sunday is a big day on CBS. Now, Del Monte Foods brings you a world of adventure with...
3: Rocky Jordan.
1: His name was Carl Kleist. K-L-E-I-S-T. For the past three years, I'd see him around Cairo... Nod to him, he'd nod back. And that was the sum total of our relationship. 120 pounds of insignificant little guy. I thought, how wrong can you be? Carl Kleiss turned out to be dynamite with a short fuse that figured to explode my face. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Yes, Del Monte. The best-liked brand of canned fruits and vegetables in the whole wide world takes you now to the Café Tambourine in Cairo, gateway to the ancient East, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Mystery of Karl Kleist. started when the sound of the burglar alarm cut into the quiet night air. It wasn't my alarm. It came from down the street, the Bon Voyage Tourist Agency, run by the brothers Willie and Carl Kleist. You know how it is when you hear a burglar alarm go off. You listen, look, say, somebody's burglar alarm, and let it go at that. I probably would have done the same, but as I looked down the street to where the sound was coming from, I heard another sound. Someone inside the tourist agency was throwing heavy objects through the front plate window. I figured I'd better get down and take a look. When I got there, a small crowd had already gathered.
2: Someone is inside. I was passing by. The window began to break. I heard someone calling me. All
1: right, let's go in.
2: No worries not, I have time.
1: Then we go in through the window. After we widen it. Watch out. I'll use my foot. Yeah, that'll do it. Come on. He's well, sir. Don't worry, I'll get it. That's why I'll do it.
2: Effendi, hey, over here. I have found him. Look, sir.
1: Willie Kleist. He has been nice. So I see. Willie. Willie. Willie, it's Jordan, the tambourine, down the street.
2: He is still alive. How is it possible for him to be alive with such a large nice in him? Ah, shut up. I'm truly
4: amazed.
1: Don't call. Don't call. They have come. Who has come, Willie? Who night? They... they have come, Zell.
4: Zell. Tell Carl to hide. Zell. Oh. What has happened, sir? Has he died? Yeah. I knew it would be so. He could not live with such a large
1: knife in him. Now you better stick around, Smiley. There are going to be some questions. I'll call the police.
3: Well, the cash box is still full. Obviously, robbery did not enter into the killing of Willie Clice in the slightest. Oh, I didn't think so, Sam. Not after what Willie said. Yes, of course. Well, the killer was not seen by anyone, huh? Apparently, he left by the back door. Leaving Willie for dead.
1: But Willie was still alive and threw some ashtrays through the window to attract attention. You know what I think, Sam? Hmm? I think whoever did Willie in didn't come for Willie.
3: Or at least didn't come for Willie alone. He came for Carl, too. Jordan, what do you know of his brother, Carl? Oh, not
1: much. They ran this tourist agency together. Moved in a few years ago. They're Austrian.
3: Carl's a little guy, quiet. Always got a book under his arm. Seems completely lost in thought. Mm. Well, I will see if I can locate him. He undoubtedly will be able to shed a great deal of light on this affair. If you can find him. If he's still alive, I'll bet he's in hiding. From Zell. From Zell. Jordan, are you sure Willie Kleist gave you no description of this, uh, cell? Nothing which would make my task of locating him easier? No, nothing, Sam. Well, it does not seem I have much to go on. No. Keep me informed, will you?
1: I'm going to be interested in seeing how you work this out. So by, I went to work, and I went back to the tambourine, putting the affair of the murder of Willie Kleist in the back of my mind. But I didn't stay there long. The next day, about three in the afternoon, I had a visitor. Tall and thin in her early thirties. You could tell she was a traveler, not a tourist.
0: Mr. Jordan? Yes? I was wondering if I could speak to you for a moment. You can. My name is Ilza Altman. I travel for the Continental Hotel chain. I happen to be in Cairo on my way to Algiers. And I read in the paper this morning of the death of Willie Kleist. I see. Uh, The paper said that you were the one who 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 discovered the... Well, anyway, that is why I am here. Uh, This is the Willie Kleist who has a brother named Charles. Yes,
1: Miss Altman, Carl, that's the one.
0: I I see. Well, Mr. Jordan, can you tell me where I might find this Carl?
1: I'm sorry, I don't know. The police are looking for him, too.
0: Captain Zabaya, the paper said. He is in charge?
1: Yes, you might go see him. If anyone know where Carl Kleist is, if he isn't dead, Sabaya would...
0: Is there a possibility Carl, too, might be dead?
1: You should know anything's possible. Why are you so interested in Carl?
0: Uh, a personal matter.
1: Ah, uh, it always is. Do
3: you know him well?
0: I did know him well. At one time, we were going to be married.
3: Oh, I see.
0: Our plans were changed, as plans like these often are. I would like to see him again, however.
1: Tell me something, Miss Altman. Did you ever hear Carl mention anyone named Zell? Z-E-L-L?
0: Anyone? No, I do not believe so. Are you sure? Well... ...to do for Ruth.
1: Like this. Like cooling her brow with a damp cloth, but easy so she'll think it's a dream. Like this. I'll come back. You said you wanted to talk to me, too. I'm a busy man running after money takes all my time. You better grab me while you can. A man was murdered last night. I know. And Ruth found him. She told me all about it. How she sat up through the night with him. him dead. It didn't touch me at all. If I remember right, I laughed. Mm-hmm. I laughed. You can ask Ruth. You knew Kenneth Mitchell? Sure. But never close enough to touch him with my hands. He was sick. But you knew him. Mm-hmm. Do something for me. Ruth's comb on the dresser. Give it to me. I... I want to comb her hair. And here. Thanks. Yourself. You were going to tell me about Kenneth Mitchell. Sure. You see, Ruth? You see the way she is? Mitchell did this to her. How? She was on her way to getting well because I bought that for her. Anything she wants, I would buy for her. She was getting well, I tell you, when this Mitchell tried to kill her all over again. The doctor told me there was nothing that could be done for her. Thanks to Mitchell? Mitchell thought he had something in Ruth. I don't know what. Maybe a sick man likes to rub a piece of life whenever he can. Even from Ruth. That's what made me laugh when she told me he was dead. Yeah, that's it. Because nothing that belongs to me dies. Mitchell was murdered last night. You'll tell me where you were. Yeah? Took you a long time, didn't it? I was with my lawyer. Go ask him. I pay him fat to handle things like this. What lawyer? Where? Gordon Horner, 1219, East 60th. He handles my money, he handles my alibis. Oh, uh, shut the door soft when you go out, huh? My name's Danny Clover. I'm from the police. And what about it? The cop on the beat said it's all right if I park my car overnight in front of the house. I've been doing it for a year. The cops started to talk to each other before ring doorbells. What's the matter with you? Are you through talking? Yeah, you must be new. Your name Horner? Sure it is. Walter Corey told me to look you up. Well, Mr. Corey did, then. Huh? Why don't you come in? Here, here. You told me Mr. Curry said so. Imagine all that talk outside where it's cold. And there's a fireplace in here. Imagine. What is your job with Mr. Corey? i his lawyer. How long have you been working for him? Since the minute he made a million dollars. At 1.21 p.m. at the Curve Exchange on Wall Street, December 12th, 1938. Sweet futures. I introduced myself and he said you're hired. Does he pay you well? I can afford my whims. That's more than most men can say. Would you lie for him? I have. And will. if it concerns, murder. Uh, let me think about that for a moment. Uh, there's a dart board. Uh, you can throw darts. Let me think. Don't you like that, or would you just rather stare at that interesting dart? Get off it, Horner. I ask your question. Well, I wouldn't lie if it concerned murder. All right. Did you see Mr. Corey last night? I did. He told me to meet him at Grand Central. I did. We had about two eat. We spent about an hour together talking business. What time did you meet him? Uh, listen to me, Mr. Clover. I don't know what you're trying to get out of me, but I know it was 8.20. There was a clock in the window of a store. I set my watch by it. 8.20. 8.20. <sighs> I guess that's all. Well, you don't have to leave. Uh, there's a game I make up with a dartboard. You'd enjoy it. Huh? Oh, well, it's always solitaire. The lawyer ushered me to the door, tried to take my hand to shake it. He never made it. Then the walk in the quiet streets across 60th to Park, the dark wind sweeping the autumn leaves, gathering them in the gutters of night. Walk down park and past Dorman, putting lights on potted trees. And consider motive and alibi. Consider why someone needed a dying man dead. His wife, the girl Ruth, her husband, who was going to buy life back for her. Toward grad central now. The intrusion of the sounds of night. The metallic creaking of the leaves. The deep cry of steel hurtling under the earth. Then another sound. <laughs> a sound that tears through flesh, grips, and then explodes. Explode. A woman screams. Listening to Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin, and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. The wind comes up from the river and twists the headline around an ankle, lifts it up again, flattens it against the gutter. Look down at it and stare, not at the big one, the smaller one there, almost burned by the cigarette butt. Man murdered, it says. Lean closer. Kenneth Mitchell stabbed to death in an apartment on West 56th Street. And a part of it that's almost charged. Officer in charge of case shot down. Then shrug and walk on. Tomorrow is another day. You'll spend it at the foot of the rainbow. Sure. As far as I was concerned, I had to consider the officer in charge of the case. The man who was shot down. Me. And the two men near me, trying to help. Hand me that bottle, Dr. Tagli.
5: Mm. Bottle? No, no, not that one. The other one, the brown one. Brown bottle. Mm, yeah, thank you. Hold on to the edge of the table, Danny. Go ahead, hold on. Just take it easy, Dr. Sinskey. Look, Danny, a bullet grazed your skull. Be thankful
1: that you can still feel pain. Well, just don't hurt him, doctor. Just hold on, Danny. Okay. Now we'll bandage you up. Hand me the bandage, you know. Bandage. Mm. You. you hurt much, Danny? A headache. Don't worry about it. The scalp wound isn't very
5: deep. You know. This is not what you think it is. Heed my warning or there should be trouble.
1: but it turned into something important. That was easy to see. I molded over for a while, thinking about Ilsa Altman, the big guy tagging her, but most of all about Zell and who he was. The next day, I fell a little deeper into the Carl Kleiss case. I was walking down the Sharia El Mumar on my way to the barber when I heard a voice.
4: Jordan! Jordan B!
1: It was Yusef, an Egyptian shoeshine boy who worked the streets around the tambourine. A little guy who seemed to know as much about people as the secret police.
2: I have seen him, Jordan B. I have seen him...
1: Who have you seen?
2: The man you are looking for. Who, Zell? No, the other one, Karl Kleist. I know where he is. Come, Jordan, we come.
1: And with that, he turned and bolted down the street. I moved after him, jostled a lady carrying a load of vegetables, excused myself, and kept right on going after the scurrying Yusuf. He led me up a couple of back streets and stopped in front of an old rat-eaten rooming house run by a German named Brombacher. Inside, Yusuf took me down a dark, smelly hall to a door marked six. Inside, Jordan B.
4: Inside. Carl Kleist is inside.
1: I opened the door with caution, stepped into the room. Who's there? Cowering in the corner was 120 pounds of nervous man. Carl Kleist, and he held a gun. Go away, go away. Carl, it's me, Jordan. Go away, go away. Carl, the police are looking for you. They'll give you protection. Now, come on with me. go away. He started to empty the gun in my direction. Yusuf and I hit the floor. The bullets cut into the wall, and then I moved for Carl fast, but he was wild with fear. He threw the empty gun at me and picked up a chair and began to whack me with it. So there was nothing for me to do but plant one right on his jaw. It just took an easy one to lay him out cold. Then I stood over him to bring him to. I opened his shirt. The first thing I saw tattooed on his chest was a four-letter word. Z-E-L-L. Cell. There it was again, and as big a mystery as ever. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Ask most men to name their favorite foods, and I think you'll find that corn, sweet, butter-tender, golden corn, rates right up there near the steak and potatoes. And if you want to give the men at your house corn just exactly the way they think it should be... Give them Del Monte Golden Whole Kernel Corn for sure.
5: Yes, Larry, it makes a lot of difference which brand of corn you buy. It's a product you can really compare and tell the difference.
1: So many women are finding Del Monte corn outstanding on every count. It's wonderfully sweet with a high natural sugar content that's grown right in. Yet it's rich in hearty summer flavor, too. Not only that, but it's remarkably tender, Those plump, milky Del Monte corn kernels are so very thin-skinned, they all but melt in your mouth. You'll agree you've hit a new high in corn enjoyment the day you try Del Monte corn.
5: I appreciate its dependable quality, too. But then I guess everybody knows you can't beat any Del Monte product for that.
1: Why not enjoy delicious Del Monte vacuum-packed golden whole kernel corn tomorrow? Remember, it's thrifty, too. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Mystery of Carl Kleist. It had all started with the murder of Willie Kleist and the disappearance of his terror-stricken brother, Carl. Mixed in someplace where Carl's former fiancé, Ilsa Altman, and a big guy in a white linen suit. Then a little shine boy found Carl Kleist and led me to him. In the scuffle that followed, Carl got laid out, and when I opened his shirt, the tattooing in his chest said, Zell, the same word Willie had uttered just before he died. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Continental Assurance Company, Reno, Nevada. The following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Felicity Feline matter. Expense account item one one hundred and sixty-four dollars. Air transportation Hartford to Reno. On route, I wondered again what Janiah Gillis was doing in Nevada. Reno, he was on the flight deck waiting for my plane, and standing beside him, wearing a dark suit and expression to match, was a tall, cadaverous looking gentleman. As I started down the ramp, Jodiah began calling
4: me. Oh, there Dollar. <laughs> hoo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi. Afternoon, Jodiah. Well, you are a sight
1: boy. Yes, indeed, you are. Johnny,
4: this is my friend and business
1: associate, Henry Parker. <laughs> Mr. Parker? Oh,
5: I'm certainly glad <laughs> you've arrived, sir. That's so? all? Yes, my yes. Mr. Gillis has been quite concerned over Felicity.
1: The it's Felicity? The feline. What do you think you came out here for? Your help? Well, no. Yeah, then give Parker your checks. My checks? So what's the matter with you? The altitude affects your mind? Hand over your claim check so Parker can fetch your luggage. Oh, uh, uh, sure. Here.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Go on, Parker. Go on. We haven't got all day
1: Whatever you say, Mr. Gillis.
4: Uh, we'll be in the waiting room. You hurry up.
5: Yes, sir. Now, come on, now. Come
1: on. Come on. Jodiah, before I left Hartford, I tried to check up on this Continental Assurance Company. Nobody ever heard of it. A lot of things those white-bellied cliffs in Hartford haven't heard of. But the fact is, Continental ain't exactly worldwide. Oh. Uh-huh. In, in here. No, sir. It ain't nationwide, either. Well, uh, just how wide is it? Well, you know how far it is from Winnemucca to Black Butte? Uh, no. Good. It's just about that wide. Oh. And Parker is one of their agents, huh? Agents? Parker is the president of the Continental. The president? But you just... I mean... Well, you look peaked, boy. you better sit down. Phew. (laughs) Jodiah, I shouldn't let the man that's paying my salary run after my bag. Pish, Tash. Here. Take a look at this. It's my new business card. (laughs) Yes. Go on, read it. Uh, Jodiah Gillis, chairman of the board, continental. What? Yes, sir. But Floyd's of England has always carried your policy. Carried, yes. Past tense. I don't take guff from anybody. Especially a ninny of an insurance agent telling me what I can insure and what I can. You had a fight with him? Yep. My cousin Rachel, oh, she's a sweet girl, she lives in the Belgian Congo. She sent me an African anteater. Now, all I wanted Floyd's to do was insure it for $15,000. And of course they wouldn't. Nope. So you canceled all your policies and bought the controlling interest in Continental? Same as anybody else would have done. Oh, sure, sure. And uh, naturally, you insured this Ed Eater. Yeah, Archie. That was his name. Was his name. What happened to him? Well,
4: it was a terrible thing, Johnny. Oh, it was just poor old Archie. He
1: overindulged. Over. He did what? He overindulged. He found a house full of termites. Oh. Yes, finally died. Acute indigestion. Too bad. But of course, Continental Assurance paid off. Because they paid off. And with a smile. Same as they paid off the $60,000 to my feline friend, Felicity. What 60000 to Felicity? What do you think? The 60000 Felicity inherited from Mrs. Hammermeyer. And who is Mrs.? Was, was, was. All right, was Mrs. Hamelmeyer. A client of Henry Parker's had a life policy of 60000 Felicity was a beneficiary. But didn't she have any children or relatives? She had one brother, a nephew, and a niece. Oh, of course, not counting Mrs. Hawkins, who was Mrs. Hammermeyer's best friend. You see, the two ladies lived together 15 years. Uh, right now, Mrs. Hawkins has been appointed trustee to administer the 60 grand as Felicity needs. Oh, I see. Yeah, you'll meet her as soon as we get settled. Chodaya, uh, what makes you think someone's trying to kill that? Child? I don't think so, I know it. There have been two attempts in two weeks. You ask Mrs. Hawkins. She'll tell you. Mr. Gillis, Mr. Dollar. Ah,
4: yeah, it's about time, Parker. Well, come on, Johnny, come on. We'll take you down to the Mapes.
1: The Mapes? The Mapes Hotel. I'm staying there. And if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. The Mapes Hotel stands high above Virginia Street, overlooking the Truckee River. After Gillis checked me in and introduced me to the owner, Mr. Charles Mapes, I unpacked and went with Janiah out to the old Hamelmeyer place where Felicity the Cat, Mrs. Hawkins, and the relatives still live. We rang the old-fashioned doorbell and waited. In a moment, the door was opened by a pasty-faced man of about 28. Yeah? Oh. Mr. Gillis. Yes. Afternoon, Oscar. Mrs. Hawkins in? Ain't she always? Who's he? He's a friend of mine who's also an insurance... Uh, that's right. Uh, come on in. I'll tell the old lady you hear. You know where the living room's at, don't you, Mr. Oh, indeed I do. Oh, friendly sort of character. Mm, Oscar's like the rest of the Emmets. They just can't stand seeing Felicity eat steak when they gotta have tuna casserole. Uh-huh. In here, darling. All right. Well, what kind of work does he do?
4: Work? Oscar, oh, none of the Emmett's work,
1: no, sir. Not even Mrs. Hamblemeyer's brother? Emmett, Emmett spends all his time in the gambling halls. You know, gambling's legal here. Mm. He a professional? Oh, no, no. He's got a slot machine route. He huh? goes around poking his finger in the payoff trays, picking up the
4: nickels and dimes that people overlook. <laughs> yeah, let's sit down here. Let's sit down here. <laughs> oh, what the is That
1: cat has claws. Oh, you stepped on his tail,
4: you stupid... Tell him you're sorry, darling. Well, I didn't know he was there. sorry, Felicity, but the bad man didn't see you. What's going on? You get right down off that table. you hear me? Oh, Oh, you... (laughs) Mr. Gillis, would you use your influence, please? I'll certainly try, Mrs. Hawkins. (laughs) Felicity, come on now, honey. That's a good kid. There. there. N- now. I just put out a nice dish of scallops for him. Oh, you hear that, Felicity? Scallops. Oh, yum, yum. <laughs> sure. So you run along now. <laughs> Bye-bye. Oh, I, I do declare I've never seen a man who has such a way with animals. <laughs> well, I, I... And that goes for lonely widows, too, Mr. Gillis. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> now, Leone, stop. <laughs> uh, <coughs>. Jodiah. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Hawkins. Leona is just fine. Yeah, well, this is the young fellow I was telling you about, Johnny Dollar. Oh, oh, well, this is indeed a pleasure, Mr. Dollar. Jodiah told me so much about you. Oh, is that so? Uh, you're much more handsome than I imagined, Mr. Dollar. Yeah,
1: now, good gravy, Leona. Now, you just tell him what's been going on around
4: here. You mean about Felicity? Th-
1: that's what I mean. Well,
4: somebody's after him trying to kill him. Tell me,
1: has an actual attempt been made on his life?
4: Wednesday night a week ago, I let him out just before I went to bed like huh. He'd been out about an hour when it started to pour, and knowing Felicity hates to get wet, I opened the front door to call him. Well, just as he was crossing the street, I heard this big car start up, yeah. and it zoomed straight for Felicity. Whoever was driving it almost turned over, trying to hit him. You didn't get a good look at the driver, huh? I didn't get any kind of a look. It was too dark. What
1: about the car? What make was it?
4: If I knew that, I'd have already told you that I haven't any secrets from him. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, tell him about last Thursday, Leona. But listen, he was poisoned. That's what the vet said. Somebody put arsenic in his lobster. Lobster? Oh, yes. He just loves it. According to the instructions Mrs. Hamelmeyer left, he's to have lobster once a week, steak three times, and boiled chicken every Sunday. I see. Yes, and as long as I take care of and obey her instructions, I can live here rent free, same as her kin, the Emmets. Uh huh. Same as them.
1: Mr. Gillis, just who gets Felicity's money in case he dies? The Emmet family?
4: We aren't sure. Oh, why's that? Because Mrs. Hamelmeyer left a sealed envelope to be opened only in the event of Felicity's death. Oh, the Emmets will get all that's left, Mister Dollar. I'm sure. Of it. Oh no, 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 Leon, you mustn't look on the dark side. Well, I did rub Mildred, uh, Missus Hamelmeyer's back and bunions for a good many years. Did her marketing, So she got her medicine on time. I do hope she appreciated it. Oh, she it. did, she did, Leon. You see, you oh, dear sweet man. Hello, anybody home? Hey. We're in the living room. If I figure they start flocking in now, it's dinner time. Eppin, Dollar. Yeah.
1: It's Joyce Emmett, the niece. She hates cats. Told me so herself. Oh. Well,
4: evening, Mrs. Hawkins. Do I have time to take a shower before dinner? Oh. I didn't know he had company. Mr. Emmett, Joyce, you both know Mr. Gillis. Yes. Hiya,
5: Mr. Gillis. Terrible.
4: And this is Mr. Johnny Dollar. He's investigating the trouble we've had about Felicity. After the would-be cat killer,
5: huh, Johnny? Yeah, that's right.
4: I'll lay eight to five, never catch him. Or her. Could be a woman, you know. Oh, yes, yes. It most certainly could. Why, Joyce, the way you say that, you act as if you want Mr. Dollar to start investigating you. Maybe I do. How about it, Johnny? Well, uh, how do you feel about
1: Felicity, Miss Dollard?
4: The same as everyone else in this house. Aunt Mildred had no business leaving all her money to that... That creeping nightcrawler. Well, he is.
1: Mr. Dollar, just what interest do you have in felicity? He isn't insured. Mr. Gillis sent for me, Mr. Emmett.
4: He did? Yes, I did. Continental has a moral responsibility to see that the funds handed over to widows, children, and dumb animals are protected from swindlers, connivers, and blackguards, of which I'm sure this house has many. Why, you pompous, wrinkled old Romeo. Joyce, please, if you can't hold your tongue, leave the room. Well, what I said is the truth man his age getting romantic. You ain't, girl, 30 years from now, you'll be mighty glad men my age can get romantic. <laughs> oh, that's all it is.
1: Mr. Emmett. Mr. Emmett. Oh, do you yeah. share your daughter's opinion of Felicity? Why, of course I do. I'm a dog man. Besides, I can't see why she left all that money to the critter. Mrs. Hawkins has figured out what it cost to keep him like a king every week.
4: Yes. Yes, $23. Uh, maybe a trifle more by the time I get him out of the pretty kitty.
1: The pretty kitty.
4: Well, it's a beauty parlor for cats. Felicity has a standing appointment there every Friday at one.
1: Oh no. Twenty three dollars a week. You know how many weeks it'll take him to spend that sixty thousand? Not counting the interest that'll add up while he's doing it? No, not exactly. Twenty six hundred
4: weeks. Fifty years.
1: And believe me, the odds in any cat living to be fifty years
5: old—well,
4: I'll lay you ten to one he doesn't live another six months. Joy. Right.
5: Oh, speak of the devil.
4: Well, hello there, Felicity. Oh, did you know we were talking about you? Did no. you finish up all your dinner, Felicity? I mean, sometimes he doesn't eat all his scallops. Last week I gave them to Oscar. Oh, it's disgusting. Hmm? Well, look at him. He thinks he owns us. What do you mean thinks? <laughs>
1: A few minutes later, Jodiah drove me back to the Mapes. Whether it was the Emmets or Mrs. Hawkins who wanted Felicity out of the way, I didn't know. But I did know we should get him out of that house as soon as possible. I changed my clothes, met Jodiah and his friend Charlie Mapes in the Skyrim for dinner, and did a bit of gambling, then went to bed. Must have been about 3.30 when the phone rang.
4: Hello. Hello, Mr. Hello. Mm. Dollar-
1: What is it, Mrs. Hawkins? What's wrong? Oh, it's terrible. Oh, it's
4: just terrible.
1: Uh, What is it? What's happened?
4: Felicity. He. Oh, he. Felicity what? I let him out about 10.
1: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment.
5: Anyone who has survived the rigors of basic training is familiar with a great variety of milk that is dished out periodically in the armed forces. There's frozen milk, concentrated milk, frozen concentrate, and good old powdered milk. But sometimes, supplying wholesome, fresh, real milk has been a problem when servicemen have been stationed in out of the way places. The United States Air Force came across that problem some time ago in the island of Teixeira in the Azores, those Portuguese islands that dot an eastern portion of the Atlantic Ocean. The airbase there was considered powdered milk country for a long time. Although cattle have played an important role in the economy of the island of Teixeira, the herd was badly inbred and milk production was very low. Modern milk processing was not a part of the picture. And with the help of Portuguese veterinarians, the men in the United States Air Force unit worked out a free breeding service by using a small herd of milk cows acquired in England, and the cattle there at Tessera improved. Then, a complete pasteurizing, homogenizing, sterilizing, bottling refrigeration plant was flown in from the United States. As soon as this activity got underway, milk production began to climb steadily, and thirsty Air Force men and civilians were soon buying and drinking the new fresh milk. When economy of the island began to rise rapidly, the people were happy and grateful. You might say that a little milk of human kindness increased understanding on an island of freedom, the right of all men everywhere. And now, act two of yours
1: truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Felicity Feline Matter. A few minutes later, Jodiah Gillis and I were at the old Hamelmeyer home. Joyce and her father, along with Mrs. Hawkins, were waiting for us. Oscar Emmett was nowhere to be found.
4: He's the one, Johnny. Yes, sir, that shifty Chris, uh, that Oscar. He stole Felicity and is going to dream in. Ah, that poor Felicity. Oh, for heaven's sake, Mr. Gillis, pull yourself together.
1: Oscar could be downtown having a run of luck, Mr. Dolly. Well, if he's gambling this time of night, he shouldn't be too hard to find. Mrs. Hawkins? Yes. When did you first realize Felicity was missing?
4: Why, about an hour ago, I guess it was. I woke up and remembered he was still outside, so I came down and called him. Yeah? Always before, ever since he was a little kitten, he's come back home for me. But tonight, well, he's just nowhere to be found. What
1: time did you let him out?
4: About uh, 10.30, same time as I always do.
1: Were you at home then, Joyce? No, she wasn't. I had a real good day yesterday, collected almost $4, so I took it to a movie. A
4: movie? Uh, that's a likely story I've ever heard of. It happens to be the truth, Mr. Gillis.
1: What'd you
5: see? Come on, tell me. It was an old one about a giant gorilla.
4: That's right. Oh, I'll bet, I'll bet. Well, well, Jodah. You uh, If anything has happened to poor Felicity, will we? Well... How much time will we be given before we have to move out of this house? Well, that's up to the court, but I'd say a couple of weeks. That's all? Oh, my. When well, it's all they deserve. My. All except you, my dear. Well, Johnny,
1: you've been unusually quiet. What do you think? I think we'll take in the late spots, should I? See how our lots run. started at the Mapes and went down Virginia Street, stopping in at every gambling casino, hoping we'd find Oscar Emmett. Finally, we found him at one of the roulette wheels in Harold's Club. And, and in front of him was a large stack Take of chips. Best. Take
4: your bet, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there's
1: a couple of seats around here, gents. No, thanks. We'll just watch our friend. And a very lucky friend he is, too. Put these on 32, and these on... Uh... Good morning,
4: askin'.
1: Huh? huh? Well, what are you two doing here? We've been looking for you. That's so? What for? You know it for, you catnapper.
4: What'd you do with Felicity? That cat. You know any other Felicity? You know good loafer?
1: All bets are down. Now, oh, now, no, wait a minute. I wanted these chips on 13 Black. Hurry,
4: all bets are down. Now, see what you two made me do.
1: If that 13 hits, I... Well, what do you want to see me about? We told you. Felicity. You know where he is? How would I know? Where have you been since ten thirty this evening? All oh, around town. How long have you been here? Long enough. Look out now.
4: Fifteen odd and black. Oh, oh, I do You see
1: what you two clowns cost me? Taking my mind off what I'm doing. Now get out of my way. I'm cashing in. You're not doing nothing to the answer our questions, Mr. Oscar Emmett. You hear me? Oh yeah.
4: Oh, hey. Oh. Just a minute. I'll back. I am. are you all
1: right? Uh, yes, I guess a fine bodyguard you'd make. Oh, uh, Mr. Gillis, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't really mean to hit you. Well, you sure you did. did. Yes, sir.
4: But oh, yes, here, let did. me help you up. Yeah,
1: no, no. Are you sure you're all right, Shaddai?
4: Yes, if I could just sit here a
1: minute, uh, I'll be fine. Okay, okay, folks, it's all over. Let's get back to our business. Oh, uh, uh, want to come over here a second, dollar? If you say so. That crazy old fool. I, I didn't really mean to hit him so hard, but he... Well, you know how it is sometimes. That was the best run of luck I had this year. Well, don't worry about your diet. He sometimes forgets he's not as young as he used to be. Huh? You can say that again. Boy, the way he's been letting that Mrs. Hawkins make a fool of him. How do you mean? Oh, you know. Telling him how much she's in love with him, how nice it'll be after they're married, you know. You heard her say this? Sure, sure. You see, my room's on the first floor just off the parlor. And I can't help but hear what's going on. Uh-huh. Well, what makes you think Mrs. Hawkins isn't sincere? Because she's been given the same line to Mr. Remmet. Oh? Only she's... She really loves him. Oh, yes, sir. Sometimes he argues with her and she breaks out crying. Now, that's something no woman like her could fake. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Mm. didn't tell Jodiah what I'd learned from Oscar. At least not then. The wind had already been taken out of his sails. So I took him back to the mapes. I made sure he was going to be all right. Then I returned to the old Hamelmeyer house. Joyce, Mr. Emmett and Mrs. Hawkins were out in the yard hunting for Felicity.
4: Hi, Johnny.
1: Well, hi you so? We've
4: got some coffee inside if you're interested. Coffee? Sure.
1: But have you found any sign of Felicity? Not yet. Poor Miss Hawkins. She's about to go out of her mind. Uh-huh.
4: Did you find Oscar last
1: night? Yeah, yeah. He's been having a session downtown at a roulette table. That's what I thought.
4: Johnny? Mm-hmm. What will happen if we don't find Felicity? I-, I mean, if he's just run away, we won't be able to prove he's dead. And the money... Well, what will happen, you know?
1: Well, I imagine there'll be a waiting period, and then the court will declare Felicity dead, and the money will go wherever Mrs. Hamelmeyer has wounded.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh, I sure wish I knew what's in the envelope Mr. Gillis has locked in his office. Mrs. Hawkins! What? Joyce! Mr. Dollar! What is it, Dad? In here, quick! Johnny, he found something in
1: the garage. Come on, talk! The garage is about 25 yards from where we've been standing. We made it nothing flat. Inside, toward the back and on the ground, was a small hatchet. And near the hatchet was some blood. And cat fur. Oh,
4: oh Johnny. Oh! No! Oh, Felicity. Oh, the poor, poor thing. Well, oh. it, it looks like he met his end here, oh, and then whoever my did goodness. it carted him away, oh. huh, Dollar? What's that way? Johnny, I Oh, take me out of here. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. My goodness. So ashamed. And you know I hated that cat. I really wanted him dead, but not like this. Not Oh,
1: hey, hey, hey. Come on now. I know it's silly of me, isn't it?
4: No, no, I don't think it is. Oh, Mr. Dollar. Yes, ma'am. Will you be candid enough to notify Mr. Gillis? I... Oh, I'm afraid I just
1: couldn't speak about it over the telephone. Of course. I'll be glad to. I drove Josiah's car back to the hotel. I made sure he was feeling better, then told him what we found in the garage. Naturally, he wanted to call out the police reserves, but I managed to talk him out of it. At 10 o'clock, I made some telephone calls to the local banks. When I got the information I'd been after... Zodaya and I again drove out to the Hammerweiler house.
4: Well, I expected you two gentlemen a couple of hours ago.
1: Sorry, Mrs. Hawkins. I had some things to take care
4: of. Oh, well, come in. What's the matter with... I joke, Dad Gillis, you've been fighting. So I have, woman. So I have. Sweet darling, and at your age. Seems like I've been a lot of crazy fool things at my age. Now, just what do you mean by that? You know very well what. Pulling the wool over my eyes. Let me think that I've found a true sweetheart at last. Oh, you, you miserable Jezebel. (laughs) (sighs) Mr. Dolly, what... What is he talking about?
1: About you and Mr. Emmett.
4: And how you plan
1: to use Jodiah's friendship to get you out of trouble in case your little scheme failed.
4: Well, I still don't
1: understand. No? Well, suppose I tell you that you did away with Felicity yourself.
4: Why, you... You can't prove
1: that. I won't need to. Jodiah's having a copy made of all your bank deposits since the time you moved in with Mrs. Hammermeyer 15 years ago. And started taking care of her by paying her bills, ordering her food and medicine, and pocketing a good share of the money for yourself.
4: Well, why shouldn't I have? She didn't give me one cent of salary.
1: Oh, I know. And your bank balance shows you have $47,000 on deposit.
4: All right. O- all right. But I'll pay it back. You'll see. Oh, they won't be able to do a thing to me. No, sir, Mildred Hammermeyer appreciated me even if nobody else did. Or does. You'll see. My name will be in that envelope. She wanted me to have that money all the time. I know she did. Why? Ready to read the will? Yeah,
1: just about. Uh, Joyce, you and your father sit over there, huh? Mm-hmm. Wherever you say, Mr. Okay, Geniah,
4: open the will. Sure. But if it does give the money to... Geniah. Well, Mrs. Hammermeyer should spin in her grave if it does. Read it, if you dare, you... You old... go too miserable, female... Woman... Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, right out of it now. Here we go. Ah, codicil to the last will and testament of Mildred Emmett. How am Witness by... Yes, yeah, there's a lot of legal gab here. Ah, here we are. The monies unspent after the death of the cat known as Felicity shall... Well, hold this what? <laughs> what? Mr. Gillis. This is no time for laughing, Gillis. Read it, your <laughs> Yes, Bye-bye. please. Oh, Oh, God. Yeah, I'll read this thing again. <laughs> the monies unspent shall then go to the descendants of the original heir. The what? The this, huh? The descendants? What? Yes. Well, the, the original heir is Felicity. Now, the money goes to his descendants. And being as he was a tomcat... Love to go prowling at night. Oh, oh, did he well. ever have descendants? Oh, hundreds of oh. them! Oh. <laughs> well, sir,
1: what happened later proved once and for all that miracles can happen. At one o'clock on Friday afternoon, we had a phone call from the Pretty Kitty Beauty shop. A large tomcat with a bad cut on the back of his neck had shown up for his usual shampoo and manicure. Maybe they do have nine lives. Expense account total, including hotel bill, incidentals, and transportation back to Hartford, $407.20. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
5: Now, here is
1: our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, an actor who talked nothing but Shakespeare, and who talked... Can we get him back before he's killed, Jordan? It sounded like an invitation to help. But whether it was or not didn't matter. They were gonna get my help anyway. I'd played it like a first-class sucker. I didn't like the taste it left in my mouth. Sabaya got out a call, of course, and his men started looking for Ilsa Altman and her Bedouins. I left headquarters and began to tap some sources of my own. Camel drivers who knew the desert trails and the desert hideaways. Had any of them seen an encampment of Bedouins with a European lady? Well, most of them hadn't. But a wise and old character named Shalik had seen some Bedouins. Not one encampment, but three. Had any of these encampments had he seen the European woman? No. So Shalik and I rented a jeep and went out to look over the three encampments. Number one, seven or eight kilometers beyond the Bulak Bridge, turned out to be a dud. So did number two, some old ruins of Ramesses second II or third. Number three was a deserted oasis at the bottom of a valley. Oh, we had better stop upon the rise here, Effendi, so we will not be seen. Oh, yeah, okay. There, there, below is the encampment. One, two, three horses. One of them must have four ply. What, Effendi? Four ply, Shalik. Those are tire tracks down there going into that growth. Yes, so they are, Effendi. Well, this could be it. I'm going down and find out. Shalik, there's a big date farm a couple of kilometers back. Drive down and phone Sabaya. Tell him where I am. And tell him I'd like to see him very much with a half a dozen or so of his best men. Just in case. Well, I moved carefully through the sand, keeping in the shadows of the dunes. It was slow going. Sand was loose. I didn't want to start a slide for fear one of the Bedouins would see it and wonder about the movement. Slowly, I inched my way closer, the object being to get near enough to the encampment to get a look at the faces of the Bedouins sitting cross-legged outside of a tent. It was Humar's face, the face of Ilsa Altman's number one boy I wanted to see. Then I'd know, and it'd beat it back up the rise and wait for Sam. Oh. How do you do, lady? I'm Jimmy Ames, a reporter for... Well, the lady's dead, isn't she, Danny? Yeah. Well, you got your news, reporter. Go report it. How about it, Dr. Sinsky? Danny Clover, welcome to the precincts of the autopsy room. We have here. Don't sell me and then give me the report on the woman who died in my office. What killed her? Poison killed her. What poison? The pharmacological name would bore you. Delayed action type poison. Taken internally kills in four hours. She probably didn't even know she was dying. No more than any of us realize we always are.
2: Hi, Doc. Danny? You no. Know, you know, I always feel good that I can walk in here under my own power.
1: Hi, right, Tartaglia. What do you got?
2: Identification on Miss Jane Doe over there. What name? Mary Murdoch, late wife of one hoodlum known as Big Murdoch. Big Murdoch, Danny, that means something to you? Yeah, yeah.
1: Thanks, Tartaglia. It means a lot to me. It did. It meant a 20-year flashback to a different era, a different world, to a time of tommy guns and violin cases and massacres, speedboats and limousines and booze watered and bonded in ratty cellars. A jazzy era where gang wars had preferred position in the headlines. A world that gawked at a butchered man in a gutter, then rolled its stockings, pinched its spit curl, and chorused o Dol" through a megaphone. It was before my time on the force, but it was that kind of a world when Bick Murdoch performed. Then Bick killed a man, and society wagged its finger, put him in a room, and locked the door. Now Bick was out. Now Bick was circulating. I had to find out where.
2: You bring it. You bring it.
1: Oh. It's Danny Clover, Benny. Mind if I come in?
2: In this, in this crummy room? You want to come in here?
1: In here, Benny. How do you feel?
2: I could tell you. You wouldn't know what I meant. Sit down. Sit down, Danny. Me, I... I better, I better lay down.
1: You got coffee on that hot plate, Benny. You need some.
2: I don't jolt. But... Read it to me. Sure. Hmm. Here. Why are you here, Danny? Dick Murdoch, Benny. Danny. Danny, you couldn't go away, come back. Someone's come.
1: He's not here yet. Talk to me about Dick.
2: That's all I'm good for, ain't it? Stool him. Some guys' lives wind up that way. Stool him. The guys get to be priests and policemen.
1: Uh, Drink, Benny. Uh,
2: Vic, you say? Uh Uh-huh. He's out. Come down from Sing Sing to the city. I know that. I seen him, too. He ain't changed. Some guys live 20 years between seeing him. And they change. Get old. Something happens to their faces. Not Vic. He's scary. Not Vic.
1: Where'd you see him?
2: He went to a place. To a place in an alley. To a hole in alley wall. Where? On First Avenue. He reached 49th. The first alley. The first hole you come to on your right. Thanks. Let's go to my
1: I woke up sometime later inside the tent with a large-size headache. Pumar was there carrying a silly grin. Ilse Altman was there, too, with a gun and a holster. And so was Carl Kleist.
0: Mr. Jordan, why? Why do you insist upon placing me in a position where I must make difficult decisions?
1: I guess I'm just nasty that way.
0: Everything was so simple. Carl and I had a long talk, did we not, Carl?
3: Yeah, we had a long talk.
0: We discussed what was important to Carl. He did not wish to die insignificantly on his deathbed. He decided he would leave Egypt with me and return to our friends of long ago, and continue in the field of aerodynamics to do important work for the future. Did you not decide so, Karl?
3: Yes, Elsa. You were most convincing in our talk.
0: There, Mr. Jordan, Karl and I were to leave Egypt quietly with no further bloodshed. And now you have upset everything. You have come to disturb the tranquility. What must I do with you?
3: Oh, stop
1: it. You're gonna make me cry.
0: Oh well, quick decisions. Huma? Good. Yeah. Killian.
1: Humar drew his knife and moved toward me. The silly look on his face grew larger and his eyes sparkled. He was in for some fun, he thought. Four steps were all he took.
0: Uh, Carl!
1: not-so-convinced Carl Kleiss yanked Ilse's revolver out of her holster and turned it on Humar.
0: Give me that gun! I will not go back! Carl! Why did you do that? Why?
3: You had... You had... Better take this again, Mr. Jordan. Other two Bedwins may come in. More coffee, Jordan? Oh, no, thanks, Sam. I've had my fill. Well, I will have a little more. Well, the affair of Carl Kleiss is at last at its end. Mr. Sante will take him to the United States in the morning. And Elsa and are made the morgue. Mm, Killed in a moment of desperation by a man who too long kept secret knowledge he should have told. Mm, Jordan, something has just struck me. What's that, Sam? Do you realize that we do not know the real ending of the Kleist affair? We do not know if the story of the steel cases at the bottom of Lake Zell is true or not.
1: Uh, I guess we don't.
3: I guess we won't. Hmm. Well, I suppose we do not have to know everything. If the story is not true, if there is not information of a, an advanced nature of aeronautics at the bottom of Lake Zell, most of this has been for naught. And if there is? Then I'm quite sure your American government will be able to get it from Carl Christ. And all of this has not been for naught. And you'd like to know which is true for sure. Oh, well, Jordan, you cannot blame me for being curious. Hmm. What do you got there? Uh, a coin, Jordan. Um, observe. Heads, it is true. Tails, it is false. Heads or tails. Oh, well, what what could a coin tell? Mm, more coffee, Jordan? Heads or tails, Sam? <laughs> Neither. It fell in a crack and is standing on its side. <laughs>
1: superb flavor for dependable quality always, enjoy Del Monte fruits and vegetables. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. The brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Larry Roman and Gomer Cool, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jane Novello as Sam Sabaya, and is produced and directed by Cliff Howell, with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arunt. Remember, you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan, same time, same station, and the story is Horde of the Memluks. Anytime you're thirsty, pour yourself a tall, sparkling glass of golden Del Monte pineapple juice. There's real refreshment for you, rich in the tropical, tart-sweet flavor of full, ripe pineapples. Make yours Del Monte pineapple juice next time. Larry Thor speaking. Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.